This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Hello, everyone. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. This episode of Persuasion is sponsored in part by Lifeways Christian Standard Bible. It's a translation that presents the truth of God's Word with accuracy and clarity. The CSB equips readers for lifelong discipleship with hundreds of designs to choose from at csbible.com. Today's conversation continues our current series called Finding Common Ground. Now, each of these episodes, we're looking at a different aspect of natural revelation and how the world all around us gives us the common ground that we seek and really desperately need with our fellow humans. And last week's episode was all about nature's cycle of life and death, renewal and decay, and how these human limits shape our shared human experience. And Hannah, I have to admit that even just saying it like that, it it makes it seem like a rather um, drab way to start a series. But I, I really do think that our, our first conversation was ending at least on that uplifting, hopeful note. Well, you know how we do things here on Persuasion. It's you're (laughs) going to die. Now think about that, right? That's essentially what we did last week. Let's get serious um, about it. Focusing on Ash Wednesday and how um, even the imagery of the soil and the earth kind of gives us this shared sense of our immortality, that we come from the earth and we're going back to the earth, but also that, um, you know, the earth can be cultivated. And so there's a hopefulness there. There is a a sense of um, possibility um, for Mm -hmm. growth and life and flourishing. So, um, you know, I really enjoyed digging into that episode last week. And I think one of the things I'm looking forward to as we continue is just making the case that we need these common categories, Mm -hmm. just really pushing and pressing into maybe um, the lack of awareness that we have that sometimes the divides between us are more about um, not understanding the kind of common things that we have been given as is humans, but also just not having the categories or the language to speak to each other. And that is exactly what we're going to do on this conversation today. Everybody, we're so glad you have joined us for Persuasion because we have guests, which is always fun. Hannah, I love it when we have visitors with us. And today we have not one, but two. We have Jim Beatler and Richard Gibson, who are fellow English professors from Wheaton College. Welcome to both of you, and thanks for joining Persuasion today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Now, could you each identify for our listeners who you are? So you say, this is Richard or this is Jim, so that they can um, 
recognize your voice, but also when you do, could you just share a little bit about um, who you are, where you find yourself in the world? Rick, do you want to go first? No, James, you go first this time. All right. So I am uh, Jim. I, I teach writing at Wheaton College, and I also write about writing. So Richard and I have just uh, written a book called Charitable Writing, uh, which is about thinking about the relationship between virtue and uh, our words. I'm Richard. I'm Jim's colleague and friend, although we might strain that in this conversation. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm also a husband and a father. Uh, and as a scholar, my interests are in really, really old stuff like the Greek epics um, and really, really new stuff like um, computer generated art. So I think the technical description of me is a geek. <laughs> So that's the fitting descriptor there. Yeah. And see, now that's a word we all understand. That is a category. That's right. I, I feel this is endearing. Yes. I don't know sure. what to call Jim. But I, think I'm <laughs> I share the title with you. <laughs> this is the fun part about language, right? We can, we can rally around these words right. that have all kinds of meaning and they bring us laughter for sure. Well, we really do appreciate that you both would join us for this conversation today. Um, we're, we're talking about shared language and, and shared labels and terms. And that's really something that's been on the forefront of our minds. A, a lot of us have been talking about this, especially over the last couple of years, um, how our words and our terms and the language that we use, it has been hard to have good conversations because the words and the terms that we use, um, maybe they don't mean the same things that they used to mean, or we aren't using them in the same way. And so we're really excited to have both of you here because of your work in language and communication so that you can uh, give us some insight into this phenomenon. And particularly, we're curious um, about the kind of disposition that a Christian should have in the world. And so as you even appeal to in your book, the idea of writing from virtue, that there's, there is something different about how those who um, confess Christianity or profess to be following a certain way of Christ in the world would engage um, even the dilemma, that they would even approach the dilemma in a different way. So I guess I, what I'd love to hear from from you all is how do you see the dilemma? Like how how do you see this moment that we're in? Um, not just how it compares to other moments in time. I mean, I'm sure we we all struggle with communication, but do you see part anything particular um, to what we're facing in this moment? Well, I, I will. I'll, I'll start us off by. Um, saying one thing that's not particular, <laughs> first of all, um, and that is something we talk about in the book, and that is that when we are talking with one another, when we are engaging in argumentation with one another, we tend to think about argument um, using metaphors that are uh, often associated with, uh, with war. Um, and and this is this is not an original idea on our parts. Um, it's something that um, George Lakoff uh, talks about. Um, but a lot of uh, debate argumentation uh, is governed by the war metaphor. Uh, so you can think about um, the show Crossfire, 
<laughs> for example, which is something that writing teachers often point to a lot as kind of illustrating this war metaphor. But um, uh, Lakoff has a whole list of the, the ways in which we kind of employ these war metaphors when we talk. I, talk James, to one if I may interrupt yeah, momentarily, yeah. I, I'm going to use some. I'm going to uh, read off some of the expressions that. Lakoff and his co-author in a book called Metaphors We Live By, that I strongly recommend people read. It's called Metaphors We Live By by Lakoff and Mark Johnson. This is their list of, of, of war metaphors that we use all the time. Your claims are indefensible. He attacked every weak point in my argument. His criticisms were right on target. I demolished his argument. I've never won an argument with him. You disagree? Okay, shoot. If you use that strategy, right? And strategy, here's the geek. Strategy comes from the Greek word for general. If you use that strategy, he'll wipe you out. And he shot down all of my arguments. Wow. Yeah, I I hear those all the time. And I say them all the time. And so it's interesting how those... um, bears so much weight of war and and attack and argument in ways that just become so commonplace to us. Yeah. And to me, it, it just speaks to the fact that we, we are affected by cultural assumptions, deeply lodged metaphors that have been in Western culture for ages. So we don't even know it. Like we went, we enter into conversations assuming that we're about to wrestle with someone Right or that we're about, or that our job is to defeat them, uh, or mm-hmm. to or to win them over, and part of what we're trying to get at in the book is that as Christians, we don't have to argue that way. Um, we we don't have to be attackers. We don't have to be defensive. Maybe there's a set of other problems that we are particularly supposed to uh, confront when we engage with other people using our words. I find that so interesting because even as I'm thinking about the title of this series, we we talked about it, Aaron, and we, we talked about the language we wanted to use, and we settled on finding common ground. And, um, you know, it kind of shapes up what we're trying to, to do. But as I listen to you describe all these, you know, the, these metaphors for fighting, I think how easily we would not be looking for common ground, but we're holding our ground. Which is that mm, war metaphor yeah. of this is the where I am standing and I'm going to defend it. I'm not going to share it. <laughs> I'm not going to share it. I don't want it to be common. I want this to be my place that I defend. Yeah, that that that's very true. And that's that's just how we're conditioned to think about argument uh, in our society. And the way in, in our classes, oftentimes our students come to us thinking about argument uh, in those terms precisely. Um, and so as, as Richard was mm-hmm. saying, it, it becomes about winners and losers. Um, but there, there are other models uh, for argumentation that can be powerful models uh, that can help us think more about argumentation as what it is we do share and what it is we want to share. Um, so thinking about argumentation in terms of claims and reasons is a good place to start. Um, but we we go beyond that in the book to thinking about what are some alternative metaphors um, that we might use uh, to kind of um, move from my place to your place or kind of come together um, uh, toward, and move toward common ground. I'd like to add here, because I'm so glad that y'all led with the question about disposition, 
because that's that's really what we're trying to get at is that we don't often know that we're bringing assumptions into engagements with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, we we don't we forget or we've never really paused to consider the fact that our disposition might not really be a humble or a loving one when we when we meet and talk with other people. Um, so we're almost setting ourselves up to fail be, because of the fact that we haven't really examined our own motivations, our own hearts, because we assume that our job is to is to be bringers of the truth, which is a, which is a really mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. office that we're assigned by our Lord. But we're also called to be the like exemplars of love and humility in our communities. Um, so, you know, Jim and I, in some sense, are doing what y'all are thinking about in this series. We're trying to take a step back to consider how what we bring into these environments and in turn, how we need to reconsider our basic education. And we're, we're not just talking about college education. We're talking about the way that we model argument for our children, the way we model argument within our church settings, um, right? Because those are the places where we learn how you engage with other people. Um, and our hope is that by rediscovering the virtues that for millennia have been guiding the way that Christians think about what they're supposed to be doing in life, like cultivating humility, cultivating love, cultivating hope, we could improve our ability to persuade other people or at least detoxify those moments when we, we speak with others who don't share all of our positions. I think that's really important because one of the things that Hannah and I had talked through with this episode is the the common experience, what we're hearing today is something like, I just can't talk to anybody anymore. It's that feeling of, I we can't have conversations. We're hearing this from a lot of friends and out online. Everyone's feeling like there's just no way to have conversations um, because it's so contentious. And it's always assumed, well, those people over there are being contentious, but not me. I'm not doing that. And so none of us think we are because we kind of know our own. I am own, driven by pure um, ration. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And so, or it's like you are holding in balance. Well, I may be passionate, but there's a reason for it. And it's because I hold these other good values, but no way that the other people have their good values. <laughs> they're they're all in the negative. And so we come to this place of feeling um, like, we're frustrated. We feel isolated from other people. Um, there's there's tension in our relationships. We feel like we have to dodge certain topics. And it does cause this friction, the sense of like we can't um, make it forward in the way that it is. And so I like that you're providing a different framework even um, to – frame up how should we be having these conversations? What is the the point of that conversation? And it's not winning or losing. It is discussing and taking in information and then also demonstrating the love of Christ in those situations. Okay, I'm going to add in a geeky word here, but I think it's a really, really use, useful one, okay? it's a it, The expression is phatic communication, P-H-A-T-I-C. Jim, did I spell it right? P-H-A-T-I-C. Phatic communication. It's, it's a word that circulates in our academic world, but I wish more people knew it. And it's, it's, a, it's a word to describe co- gestures and communication that signal to someone else that you are in relation with them, 
and that you want communication with them to continue. I find this to be a really, really powerful concept. And it happens in, in really mundane ways, like small talk, right? Where there's someone that you see on a regular basis, right? Like in a pre-pandemic world, the baristas in my life, right? <laughs> right. right? And, and, and these, these, are, these are people that I see all the time. And, and I recognize, right? I see them all the time. I need, I need to get to know them. We, we're not going to have lengthy conversations because the fact that they're at work Right? It would actually be unfair of me to, to ask them to sit down for two hours while, while they're serving other, uh, other people beverages and managing their jobs and going about their lives. But right, it's important to me to recognize them, right? to, to know their names, right? to know some things about them. Right? And, and I just want them to know that I'm, I'm there. I'm happy to communicate. And I, I think bringing a notion of phatic communication, that one of the purposes of speaking with our neighbors is simply to indicate that we want to be in relation with them. Right? To, to me, it's the most basic gesture of the gospel is to just say to someone in a, a fundamental way, I'm here, I see you here, I'm open to you. Right? Right. And so, so like my critique of, of the American Christian disposition, this is not everyone. There's so, there's so many people who are farther along the path of sanctification than me. But I see, I see this in myself. I see this in my students is, is that we think we have some important idea that we've worked out entirely. And then we enter into the, the field of battle with guns blazing, right? In order to break down the other person's defenses to make them to yield to my truth. And we might actually win that argument to our own satisfaction, but in the process, we've messed up the relational terms, right? So, so I think to myself, when I, when I want to uh, like speak with people about sensitive issues, wait, this is a relationship that I want to continue, right? Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's with a friend of mine who isn't a believer, right? And, and I see my obligation in these situations, both as the obligation to speak the truth, but also to maintain the relationship because ultimately, truth for us isn't just knowledge. Truth for us is a connection between people to truth himself, right? So in my view, like we need to cultivate both a, a truth-giving, a, a kind of truth-bearing attitude, but also a strong sense of, of humility and relationality so that when, when we do argue, we argue well, but we argue in such a way that people want to continue speaking with us after the conversation ends. And I'll just I'll just add to that. Um, the, the 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 next step after that, I think, is um, to think about the practice of listening. Um, so you know, once we've established that uh, relationship through phatic communication, the practice of listening is just absolutely essential uh, for maintaining the relationship and moving forward in any kind of meaningful exchange. Um, and it's a, a while back, Richard was talking about dispositions, and uh, one of the one of the virtues, one of the um, um, one, one of the habits that we can cultivate in relation to, to listening is humility. Uh, so these things are intimately connected. Um, we become, uh, we, we can practice humility by listening, listening well, and we can maintain relationships and strengthen relationships um, through this practice. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow. We believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman? Serve in the workplace? 
Or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. You know, one thing that comes to my mind, too, as I hear you um, talking about the need for humility and meeting people and showing that we're open um, to conversation, that we're accessible and listening to them, I also think about um, how often as Christians, we can want to take our paradigms or our kind of sense of things and force it on other people or on the conversation. So so what I'm thinking about, let me um, be a little more clear. I'm thinking about maybe the way that things that are um, authoritative in our own life, like maybe the scripture, um, things that are persuasive to us, it's very tempting to ask other people then to operate in those categories. So if I'm speaking with someone who isn't a believer or who wouldn't find or believe the scripture is authoritative in their life, um, it's kind of easy for us to just say, well, this is truth and this is what I'm convinced of and you need to be convinced of it too. Uh, what kind of, how would you describe that phenomenon? Maybe uh, what's happening there when we do that and what is a way forward? Jim, you go first. Well, I've, I've, I have to think about that a little bit in terms of in terms of what's happening uh, there. But I do think um, you know we're we're operating in our own um, kind of filter bubble, um, as as the mm -hmm. phrase goes. And again, I think I mean I, I do think it it goes back um, in some ways to a failure to to listen and translate uh, what uh, what. Um, we believe to be true to our audience. And that's just absolutely uh, essential. In order to communicate well, you have to know uh, your audience. So maybe, maybe, mm -hmm. what, maybe what you're describing is a failure to truly know those with whom we're communicating. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so um, one of the first steps is to, you know, bef before we can, uh, before we can, um, Again, you know, marshal our weapons uh, at 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 uh, the receiver of our discourse. We need to get to know them, um, and then rethink what it, what it would look like to communicate well with them. Well, that just sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I, say, I take it you all aren't on Twitter. No, <laughs> uh, I am not. I I would be okay if if it just were shut down. Uh -huh. <laughs> it, I say that jokingly, but only because uh, yes, that that makes sense. Like we we should be seeking relationship, and therefore knowing the person we are trying to talk to. I think 
the easier route and less effective is I'm just going to dump all my ideas at your feet and you should be happy to have them. And please just pick them up because you'll love them. (laughs) And so I think that there is that tendency to just assume because we hold things very close and very dearly that other people, if they would just pick them up and look at them, they would think the same way too. And everything then would work great because you'd think like me. (laughs) Well, I I think that what, what all of you are saying is is really helpful and wise. I, I mean, we all spend all of our time in our own heads. That's that's just what it means to be human. It, it, it's it's our lot. At times, it's our curse, and at other times, it's a blessing because we can break through the miasma about our own thinking and engage with someone else's saying and wake up to the wider reality of of the world. Um, I I, I want to add a couple more things. One a, about scripture itself. Um, I don't think that we should shy away from claiming that scripture is especially powerful, that it it can, particularly at at kind of extreme moments when encountering other people, speak powerfully to them. Um, So we we don't need to be shy. We don't need to hide scripture under a bushel or or put the light, uh, put some kind of covering over the light. You all know where I'm going with this. But... Right. We also Is that have, a scriptural yeah, metaphor? Yeah, something's going on there. <laughs> right, right. And, and in fact, in fact, you know, one of, one of the things that I learned while working on this book, charitable writing, was that that ancient English professors, right, the ancient versions of us, people like Saint Augustine, thought that scripture had a, a special rhetorical power. And I think that we shouldn't give up on that special rhetorical power. That said, that said. Um, I think what Jim's saying is is really true, that, that what often is happening is that there's a, a failure to know one's neighbor, right? To recognize that, that these are people who perhaps don't understand anything about scripture, may in fact have had alienating experiences with Christians in the past. And so to speak scripture first is actually to end the conversation, not just because it's, it's, it's not authoritative to them, yet, hopefully, but also because of the fact that they're not ready to grapple with these deeper truths that we've had lifetimes to consider. Um, so so I want to I hold on to scripture. I want to claim that, that scripture can speak really powerfully. I, have you all noticed that like around the election, there was a lot of scripture spoken um, in, in the midst of the pandemic. There, scripture still retains a special place in, in our culture, at least in American culture. But, right, an, an everyday conversation with with people who who maybe really don't understand why we think scripture is so great, it's often going to end the conversation. So as I see it, the first job when we want to have these difficult conversations is is to figure out who who these people are, right? So the onus on us is to start listening, as Jim said, right? To discover who are you, what do you care about, right? And then I, I think to circle back to where Hannah started us. Right, that shared language is something we can no longer assume in a lot of cases, but rather we have to find. And at least my experience suggests that other there are other people out there who want to find it too. I was going to say I wanted to um, just highlight what you're saying about the scripture having rhetorical weight that it still is powerful in its own right. Um, and I'm curious. I have a question about that. Um, it, you know, when we think about, as you mentioned, even the church fathers using scripture um, and this, what we call special revelation um, within 
theology. I'm wondering if it, the the problem then is not that scripture isn't powerful and rhetorical, but that the 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 way we're engaging with it is perhaps flattened. Yes. Or yes. Um, when when I think of the partnership of special revelation, the scripture. And let's say natural revelation or, or common spaces of revelation. Like when those two things partner together, that's when they, they bring the, the clarity and the meaning out of both. Yep. What do you think about that? Uh, well, I, I, I think, I think you're on to something. I'm going to read, I'm going to read you all some words. You're going to know right away where they come from, right? Wedding ceremonies. No. Um, you're going to recognize <laughs> these words right away. And, and I think it, it speaks to your point really well. Ready? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Right? Who doesn't want to hear those words, right? Everybody does. I, I don't think I've ever met someone who doesn't want to hear about patient, kind, unenvious, non-boastful, humble love. Everybody wants it, right? We, we've got some of the best words available in any language ever and, and put together in this wonderful rhetorical cadence. Uh, <clears throat> so to me... Right? We, we, have, we have these powerful, powerful messages that even people who've sworn off organized religion, right, theism, right, e- even those people who are, you know, going against the grain of our times and aren't even spiritual, right, they want to hear words like that. And we have them. We just don't know how to use them properly, right? Because wouldn't you want to hear more if someone pulled you aside and said, Brother and sister, I can see that you're weary. It's been the longest year of all of our lives, right? Come, learn about humble love. Learn about a love that always will protect you, right? If you start a discussion that way, you're going to go somewhere. If nothing else, you're going to learn what other people think love is. Um, And I think that has the ability to draw people in because you are communicating things around um, deeper truths of virtue and um, things that we do share. These are things that we all long for. Our hearts are wired to want these things and to survive on these things. And so I think it's so helpful for us to now look at, well, what is it that we do have shared and in common. That's one of the things that we're trying to hit on in this series is that there is common ground, but we have to find it. And it is there. We just have to find it. And there it is. It is these shared um, desires, these shared goals, these these shared needs. And there's something about um, recognizing that commonality that I think hits back on the humility aspect where it's like, oh, this is us. This is all of us. And I think that that helps to diffuse some of that isolation, first of all, but then also it diffuses some of the sense that I must conquer and win over others because, oh, actually, we are all in this together. We all need 
this type of language. We need this type of rallying around each other because we are weary and we, we do need people to walk with us along the way. Yes. And, and um, so, some of the most powerful uh, speech acts uh, in that regard uh, have to do with uh, things that we find uh, advocated for in scripture, uh, promise keeping. Uh, repenting, <laughs> asking for forgiveness, mm-hmm. and and so these are acts yeah. that uh, can actually be means of um, connecting with con- connecting us with other people uh, in powerful ways. Jim and Richard, this has been so helpful and encouraging. I, we just really appreciate that you would come onto Persuasion and share all this with us and help us to think about this in a different way. This has been really fun. Thank you so much for uh, having us on. Uh, It's been really wonderful talking to you. Well, I will make sure that I put all of the contact info for both of you in our show notes, as well as links to the book so that people can can grab a copy of that and uh, they can follow you out online. Thank you for coming on. Um, I, I've, this is the most fun I've had talking about talking in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really nice that you all have shown us patience, which we also know is a Christian virtue. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but that's well, going to do it for this episode of Persuasion. But everyone, please be sure to come on back next week as we move this conversation forward in the Common Ground series. And if you have things you would like to share with us, if you had ideas or questions or wanted to talk about talking yourself, you can um, join us at Persuasion CAPC at Twitter. um, And we'll have the most effective conversation we can have there. Um, But if you would prefer a a slightly better, more extensive conversation, you can join us in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum, where we... um, pull the threads that we found within this episode and have a little more space to discuss them together. And of course, if you're not a member, you can become a member by supporting the work of Christ and Pop Culture uh, for just $5 a month. And your investment helps support these conversations and um, the other good work that writers and thinkers are doing at Christ and Pop Culture. Thanks again to LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible for supporting this conversation. Persuasion is produced by Jonathan Clausen, and it's part of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can find all those shows at ChristandPopCulture.com or at iTunes. And we do thank all of you for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.